millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hey everyone, welcome to the 332nd episode of Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, screenwriting, and directing. This episode is brought to you by patron Michael Lippert. I'm Oren Kaplan. And I'm Matt Enlow. Today we've got Andy Young on the show. He's an editor extraordinaire. He's here to talk to us about Harley Quinn, which is in its third season, available on HBO Max as we speak, hopefully for a while longer. It's a HBO politics joke. What, Discovery Plus, Warner Brothers, something? Who knows? Discovery Plus, all that stuff is going on. It's worth it to say that we had this conversation before the Zaslav massacre, for lack of a better term. For those not paying super close attention, after the Discovery and Warner merger, they started cutting things and, and taking things off the platform. Harley Quinn is still available, so don't worry about our good friend Andy. And he has a, a friend. Yes. We've been known him for a long time. He's probably one of the very first podcast fans. It's been a long journey, and we talk a lot about it on this episode. He's just such a fun guy. You know, he comes from live action. He comes really from, like, the world of comedy. He started at Rooster Teeth in Austin, and he's so friendly and, like, definitely comes off as this, like, harmless dude. But then once we talked to him for a while, I started realizing how it was all so calculated. A stone cold killer. This is a great conversation about ways in which you can authentically network, be your true self, not be out to get anything, but besides kind of transparently wanting to connect with people, collaborate with people, help people, and therefore help your own career as well. Andy has cut a lot of stuff for the two of us, a lot of commercials. He cut my wife's feature, See You Next Christmas. So we know him pretty darn well. If you're listening to this podcast, You could be the next Andy Young. You could be a rags to riches, film school to superstar winner if you continue to listen to the show and help us out regularly. And I even love his story about like how he ended up on this episode, which I think is pretty good. Well, before we regale you with the adventures of Andy Young, I just want to remind people that we have a Patreon. Patreon.com slash just shoot it pod. It's a place where you can come support us just to help us out. To make this podcast. But yeah, patreon.com slash just shoot a pod. Any money you give us a dollar a month, even $15 a month, which gets you a just shoot it hat, which is really fun. But it just lets us know that you're listening, that you want us to keep going and that we should pay our editor. We appreciate it all. Patreon.com slash just shoot it pod. Matt, do you think, I mean, we've been teasing this for like two years, but do you think we're going to do like a live show in 2022? Boy, wouldn't that be nice? 
I have been thinking a lot about how October is coming. I get served a lot of spooky t-shirts on Instagram. They've got their demo dialed in. <laughs> yeah. And I like to have like a fun spooky t-shirt for the Just Shoot It horror episode, which we have done live before, and it would be really fun to do live again. I 100% agree. Hopefully we can do it. I kind of thought we were like on the way out. I have been in the Midwest for the past week, so maybe that's why I saw maybe five or six masks my entire trip, not including the airport. We were invited to a screening of a movie tomorrow, and I asked the person that directed the movie, he said that we're doing it outside. And I said, why don't we do it inside? And he said, well, COVID. So I guess it's still a thing, even if you're only having like four people over for a screening. Maybe it's outdoors. Yeah, I guess we can do an outdoor venue. I don't know. Let us know what you think. Angelinos in particular. Yeah. Now, potentially a word from our sponsor. If not, Andy Young. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, we are here with our favorite fan, also editor, also just a great all-around film guy, Andy Young. Welcome to the show. Long-time listener, first-time complainer. First-time guest. Yeah. I don't know. You might have emailed us before about something, and then we might have read it. Actually, it's funny. I went back and looked it up. I started listening to the show in like 2015 when I saw my friend Matt Pollock was on it. 2015 was kind of a weird year for me. I was still in Austin. I felt like I was supposed to go to L.A., but I didn't want to. And then y'all's podcast was kind of convincing me to. Sorry. Very odd that you guys convinced me to move out here. Yeah. No, it was the smartest thing I ever did. I'm, I'm working with Batman now. I asked you guys anonymously if you thought that I should take this big job I got offered or move to L.A. And you both had said move to L.A. But I was like in kind of dire straits when they asked me. And I was like, I don't know, man. Like, I really 
this company's fine, but they're just not my bag. I really feel like I need to be in LA. And uh, smartest thing I ever did. You guys convinced me to come down, kind of give it a go, and uh, were super helpful in getting me most of my. I think a lot of people I've worked with since have come from me listening to your show. So thank you well, for inadvertently uh, giving me a career. I guess I was excited to maybe give my version of the Andy Young career. Oh, please. But you kind of, you definitely deflated it a little bit already. So my version of Andy Young is that he was a, just a doe-eyed young boy living in rural Texas. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, playing around with tapes and VCRs and things. Back in the sticks of Austin, Texas. He happened upon a, an old-time radio show called Just Shoot It. Learned everything there is to know about filmmaking. Mm-hmm. Pretty sure you hitchhiked to L.A. Mm-hmm. Yep, mm-hmm. Uh, nothing but a, a wing and a dream. Yeah, Andy is basically like a real-life Muppet. And this is <laughs> yeah, I watched the Muppet movie and I was like, I will live my, my life by the first 30 minutes of this film. Yeah, and you emailed us and you said, hey, let's, uh, you know, let's meet. I am going to I wanted to write up an article about some podcasts I like. Which is I definitely use the movie maker thing as a guise to like meet a lot of people you guys for sure being one of them that is the way if you really want to like have coffee with someone and hope that they like can introduce you to other people interviewing them is the move and like obviously andy is living proof of that and so are oren and i Exactly. No, 100%. You guys have, I'm sure, met so many and probably gotten a ton of jobs because you have this some podcast jobs, and that's some jobs, what, but we've met a lot yeah, of people. Yeah. <laughs> it's definitely, it helps. And then it just like steers you to all of the right people. Like I started writing for Movie Maker in college, just interviewing all of my heroes. And a lot of them ended up getting me jobs at random points, including like through you guys meeting like, you know, the Sawhorse guys and Carlin and, you know, all these other people I've gone on to have really fruitful working relationships with so i don't know i always recommend that to people though just start like a blog make it sound more important than it is and just be like uh make it mutually beneficial like i'll interview you for this uh, mm-hmm. film website you'll get exposure you know? i'll speed through the rest of the story please so we met you then pretty sure i introduced you to sawhorse launched your career you'd never seen a computer before until then but then <laughs> learned how to edit and then i think after you we're an on-set editor on an amazing Bush's Beans branded video. Yeah. Directed by me. You know, everyone started recognizing your talents. He moved on to the world of features as well. You might, might have done some stuff with Matt. I don't know that that sure. really affected your career very much. Yeah. The uh, height of my career, February 2020, was really, uh, you guys really helped me yeah. out. Yeah. Because I, my daughter goes to preschool with uh, the son of Justin Halper, and I think even oh. though I never mentioned Andy's name to Justin, I think just being in the same room probably... You know, uh, by osmosis, so we're like, we're looking for an editor. He must know mm-hmm. one. Yeah. Got you uh, on a Warner Brothers DC show, Harley Quinn. And now uh, you're famous. And, you know, I will settle for 45%, not the usual 50%. I was going to uh, say, this is why you guys get a cut of my credit. paycheck every week. Yeah. What a long, strange, roundabout way to describe my career in you know, pitch perfect detail. I don't even know if we need to go through anything else. No. What else is and, there to uh, learn? So, unpaid endorsements. You got one? <laughs> Okay, so that's my version of Andy Young. Uh, Matt, you have anything to add to that, or should we let Andy fill in the blanks? Did you intern at College Humor? Is that right? So I graduated in 2014, and I went to UT Austin, and they had this program called UTLA where you could spend a semester in LA, and I had two internships. I interned for the Duplass Brother because I had met Jay through Movie Maker, Mm -hmm. and then I also... You did the same shtick. You're like, hey, Jay, I'd love to write an article about you. That's what he's saying. Yes. Wait, how did you find his contact info? I guessed. Because this was like in 2011. He wasn't like 
you know, star of trans. He wasn't wasn't was, famous yet, basically. Yeah, there was yeah. some. It's probably still up. There was like this little hub of a thing, and I was like, "Hey, I went to film school at UT. I know you guys did too. Can I just interview you?" And then over the years, like me and Jay just kept like talking and stuff. And then I did a bit of stuff for them in LA. But the big one I did was College Humor. And the first thing I ever worked on in LA was uh, this like Coke Jake and Amir thing that Inlo directed. I did not realize you worked on that, Andy. That's so right. funny. I was a, 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 a assistant editor, technically. I like organized all the footage. So I heard you being like, Amir, could you say this like this? You talk about this all the time. You didn't know Andy worked on it? I didn't. This was like the height of my career. It, it like, was my, Harley Quinn, my first right? like big branded spot. Basically, Same. yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's so. I do. That's so funny. I didn't realize that you you worked on it at yeah. all. And years later, I actually cut a TV show for Jake and Amir. Uh, and unfortunately, it didn't get picked up. But I told them I was like, "Hey, the first thing I ever did in LA was I worked on this like spot that you guys did." And they were like, "All right." <laughs> They're like, "Cool, great." No, they were cool. <laughs> it was really hot that day. I've been waiting to be on here for seven years. I feel like I've given such a non-linear <laughs> version. So it sounds to me like before. Uh, Oren quote unquote changed Andy's career back when Andy mm-hmm. was in college I changed his life so that's an interesting little nugget to bring it back to people who uh, aren't in our immediate circle of friends this must just sound ridiculous to in summary <laughs> Andy did a really good job of working his network working his connections creating excuses to talk to people who could help introduce him to other people but also I think to your point it was an equitable relationship. You were giving them exposure. You know, Andy, you've cut stuff for free for me, like a handful of times. And that stuff has always led to like more work through like people who worked on that or people who like that thing. And people always say I'm really good at networking, but it took me a long time to kind of, it's a skill you have to hone. And I remember you guys talking a lot about it on the, like the early days of the podcast. But I remember when I first moved here, I knew I wasn't going to have any work for like a while. Like I was still doing like rooster teeth jobs or whatever to pay the bills from a distance, but I was always like three to four times a day. I would like try to get a coffee or a lunch or a dinner or a movie date, whatever. I would try to like meet someone or see someone new again and just try to like three to four times up. a day. Yeah. And I was such an idiot too. I was like, okay, I'm in Burbank. How long will it take to stand up, get to Santa Monica? I'll figure it sure. out. Like I made it kind of my day job when I first moved here. Cause I didn't want to just like sit around mm-hmm. waiting, but I didn't know anybody out here. So while I was doing jobs, I would basically like, through the podcast or through other connections I had made. Like I would meet, like I remember I had like a meeting at the Jim Henson company through like a friend's 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 <laughs> cousin. Like that was like the whole like chain of things. They knew I was a big Muppet fan. It's like, I would <laughs> try to find all that. I want to break this down a little bit though, because I think this is actually maybe the most valuable thing we will talk about this whole episode because everything else has been like such a gym. well yeah it's, it's all great but i think this is something that people can put into practice and as we're emerging from the pandemic you know these opportunities are arising again or have been around for a while now mm. so you said oh you use the podcast or this or that or whatever i want you to walk us through specifically what you did walk us through one of those examples basically so you heard someone on the podcast and then what for example like i think carlin hudson's like a perfect example of this because like we had known of each other because we were both in Austin at the same time, but we didn't totally know each other. But then I saw that she was on y'all's podcast. So I reached out to her Facebook and I was like, hey, I saw you guys. I said you were my friends. <laughs> I saw you guys. You were on my friend's podcast. I'm a big fan of your work. I'd love to talk about meeting sometime. And then we did. You know, you do that Hollywood thing where you're just talking about like, oh, I've been doing this. I've been doing this. And right before we were going to leave, I was like, well, what are you like working on next? Like, have you shot anything? And she was like, yeah, I just shot this 
short film about like an anthropomorphic butt. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm having trouble. Like we just shot. It. I'm having trouble like finishing it up. She showed me the thumbnail for it. And I kid you not. I told her like, there's no way that's not going to play at South by Southwest. If you give me the hard drive right now, I will have a cut for you in a week. And we went back to her apartment and she gave me the hard drive. So it was a lot of stuff like that of just being really persistent mm-hmm. and really like, oh, you don't have an editor for this? I'll do it, you know, especially when I was trying to meet like directors and stuff like that. I mean, I guess one of the very relevant things here is that you're an editor. Yes. When I went to school, I wanted to be a writer director and I came out of school kind of thinking that. But I had a revelation at one point, kind of around when I was listening to y'all's podcast where I was like, I'm only ever writing so that I can have something to direct, but I'm only ever directing so I can have something to edit. So when I moved out here, I didn't want to do the whole like, I'm a writer, director, producer, cinematographer. Mm -hmm. Anytime I saw those people, it's like I never saw them getting jobs because no one wanted to work with someone who was like this, like jack of all trades. They wanted you to be good at one specific thing. So I even went so far as like I wasn't just an editor. I introduced myself as a comedy editor that was like on all my business cards, my website and everything. And even though I didn't know anybody, even though I didn't have like as good of credits as some people, my resume kept going to the top of piles at like. Cracked and college humor and soul pancake. And uh, now I'm saying it, all these companies that don't exist anymore. It rose me through my career just saying, like, I'm a comedy editor. I wanted to get more comedy jobs. And by saying, like, I'm an editor, I'm doing comedy, they say not to pigeonhole yourself. But in my experience, I always tell kids, like, pigeonhole yourself. Mm-hmm. Like, if you want to work in like a certain genre, don't be afraid of saying what that is, you know? Actually, I don't know if they say not to pigeonhole yourself. Really? But unless, I mean, I think maybe I've heard, like, don't. People don't pigeonhole yourself in something that you don't like. Sure. You know, yeah. Right. Like if you're the person that does these like industrials because you're like amazing at industrials, but that's not what you want to do, then you got to do something else to show people. Yeah. Yeah. Well, lately, because of Harley, I've been getting like emails every day from people that are like, hey, I'm, and it's usually people who are like your editors for like reality shows and stuff. And they're like, hey, how do I get out of reality into narrative? Mm -hmm. And I was like, I was in Brandon. And it's just, you got to learn to say no and you have to learn when to like course correct your career. Like there were a ton of examples where I, turned down stuff for you guys or sawhorse or like a ton of like money stuff where it was just like if i keep doing this type of work i'm only going to get more of this type of work and you guys can speak to that as well like there comes a point where it's like it's really hard to say no to stuff but if you want to like make that pilot or like make that low budget feature at a certain point you kind of have to like you know start pivoting yourself towards the thing that you actually want to do and it's really hard or going back a little bit I think the point that you were about to make is that, Andy, you were able to network partially because you could make yourself of your services available to people, right? For sure. It's, it's so much cleaner to be like, hey, here, here's a very explicit way that I can help you. And it doesn't mean you don't need to not be a writer director. But oh, in, yeah. this, in the context of this meeting, you're an editor, right? Because mm-hmm. a director has very little interest in meeting other mm-hmm. directors. Well, and the director's whole thing is they're supposed to be like making their own work and they're supposed to be like, I guess maybe they're meeting with other crew people or like producers trying to like get their stuff together. But for like people like me and cinematographers and stuff like that, I think it's so important for us to like I've had other editors recommend me for stuff and that's really helped. Maybe you guys have had things where like someone's sick and then they recommend you. That's been a big thing for me. But the bigger thing has been working with a director or producer that really likes me. And then when someone sees my name and I'm like up for a thing, they call the everyone I've ever worked person. with. I'm, yeah. sure, I'm, I'm sure at one point or another, I, I've used you guys as a ref and someone's had to be like, hey, is this person like not crazy? Yeah. Um, yeah. And, that's and I so was like, uh, absolutely. Bonkers. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And Orin was like, sit down and let me tell yeah. you a tale of old and yeah. Yeah. it was uh, an animaniac. <laughs> and I was like, he is a very wacky guy. Yeah, exactly. Um, it, Matt, have you ever had that where someone was sick and you have you ever been a replacement director? 
I don't recall um, any stories. Yes, I, I did uh, two days on a feature, like kind of oh, right yes, in the middle I of the pandemic. Um, oh, and wow. it was hard. It was super hard. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think yeah. for the most part, if you're on a short term job, you kind of just muscle through it. I, uh, also, I've been incredibly sick and still shot a full day like, oh, like yeah, food same. poisoning sick. Like, oh, mm-hmm. um, I think I told this story on the podcast a long time ago and it's pretty gross. But I remember my AD being like, if you barf in front of me, you were like throwing up on if you barf in front of me again, I'm walking. (laughs) (laughs) And he was right. I was like, I thought you were just like, I barfed in front of everyone. You're like a horrible AD. Their job is to have your back. It was like in front of everyone. It was disgusting. Oh my gosh. Yeah. yeah. Um, That is actually my biggest nightmare is like showing up to like uh, work on set or work in a studio, like with like, stomach pains like i've done that where i've like gone into like edit bays with like a huge director like a super high paid exec and i'm just been like oh my tummy hurts <laughs> and just like trying to like be cool and like sneak a heating pad <laughs> onto my stomach that's one nice thing about editing if you're like sick and working you can kind of make it work yeah, yeah. Uh, and i feel like editing you can i mean you know i do a lot of vfx and it's like oh yeah i could be like half dead and still be working are you still interested in directing and writing at all or are you kind a of a little bit? I still do it from time to time. I've been really lucky that like I've had this weird leg of my career now where my favorite singer songwriter of all time, this guy, Justin Pierre, who's in the band Motion City Soundtrack, we got connected and I've directed a bunch of music videos for him. So I'm still doing stuff like every once and again, but it really is like even when I wanted to be a director, my the my favorite thing was always editing because that where it was like you could just be in a room away from everybody. There's not like a million people yelling at you at once. You kind of just like have everything in front of you and you just have to kind of put a puzzle together. Like it kind of unlocks like the right side of my brain that's mm-hmm. very like creative and spontaneous and wanting to try new things and the left side that's very like calculated and organized and meticulous and i don't know i just get very excited about like getting really specific with like the timing of making a joke work or like shifting things around to give like entire new meaning to the scene it just like it just gives me like so much energy that like working with actors or writers never quite did so i don't know like i I still do like directing from time to time but it's it really is like I feel very lucky that like I found like the thing that I really like to do. And it's something that like it's so hard to be like a writer or a director or producer or actor. You want to be like an editor. Like it really it takes like a lot of hard work and gumption and everything. But there's like a I, th- I would argue a more like linear path of like, oh, you could like assistant with your way up or you could do what I did and you just work on everything. You're not competing with a bunch of other people or you are. But it's like it's more of I found that editing is more of a community. and We all kind of help each other. Yeah, Matt and I basically just try to off as many directors as we mm-hmm, can. Mm-hmm. It's always interesting here on the podcast when you're like, oh, are you up for that thing? Oh, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Oh, you didn't go to the next round? Oh, <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> you know, it's f- you spent how long on your lookbook? Oh, cool. That's great. No, I, I feel like uh, when we first started the show, I think that there was a, it felt like there was a little bit more work and it was a little less cutthroat. And I feel like mm-hmm. now it's there are fewer companies, there are fewer at bats. And mm-hmm. I think that like the, the milk has soured a teeny tiny bit. You know, I still believe <laughs> a rising tide it rises all boats or raises all boats, whatever. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but it, there, it, it stings a little bit more when you don't get the thing. <laughs> oh, of course. Well, and you guys put in so much work into like, even before you get the job sure. there's so much like in editing there kind of is that like i mean on harley i had like four different interviews before i mm-hmm. finally booked it 
Uh, and that's not like totally abnormal. Like I, on most stuff, it's like I have to speak to like two to three different groups of people. And you're already kind of like cutting in your head and figuring how it's going to work. And then when you don't get it, it's such a bummer because it's like, well, I've all this like potential and all this like built up like optimism and stuff. It's just gone. Like there's nothing there's nowhere for it to go. And it still kind of stings, too, when it's like, oh, yeah, but person, you know, got it. And it's like, yeah, they deserved it or maybe they did. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that so that has happened to you or you interviewed multiple times for something you really wanted and didn't. Oh, get. loads of times when COVID hit. It was a bit I still was getting a lot of like work from different places, but weirdly, like animation was starting to really and I'd always wanted to work in animation, but it was kind of like you don't have any animation credits, so you it, were not interested. And I had gotten really far to I don't know if it's out yet, but there's this show that Peter Ramsey, who is one of the Spider-Verse directors, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. there's a show he's directing for Netflix. And I went through like three different interviews from like October to December of 2020. And the like the day before my last one, they were like, oh, by the way, it's the director of like the biggest movie ever. And you're going to talk to him in 30 mm-hmm. minutes. Um, and it, it, he was really nice. And it it came down to me and another person and it went to the other person. Um, but I've had, t- I've had a ton of stuff like that where, you know, you have to like interview with like the producer and the post soup and the director, of course. And then like these execs, especially on like commercials and stuff. And I don't know. It can get a little exhausting. Do you have any interview tips like as an editor, like things that you feel like get you the job? I mean, obviously, they're not watching you edit. So what's the interview about? I think the big thing I always try to push is that when I'm speaking to directors, I'm very much like I work for you. And honestly, like when I, I tell directors all the time, like we're you're interviewing us, but we're interviewing you. Like anytime I talk to a director I want to work with, I call every other editor they've ever worked with. If you're like a jerk or you're tough to work with, I'm going to be the first to find out about it. But with interviews, the biggest thing I found is you want to reassure people like, look, you're spending like thousands or even millions of dollars on this thing. I got you. Like, I've done this type of project before. I've worked on this kind of thing before. You're really just trying to reassure them like your money is being well spent bringing your footage to me. I'm we're going to find it together. Uh, And I'm slowly getting like enough credits where my work is kind of speaking for myself of like, oh, I've done this type of commercial or I've done this type of show. But before that, when you had anything, you really just have to kind of sell your passion and your optimism and your enthusiasm for the material i mean that was a big reason i think i got harley was because i was like a huge fan of the show they didn't have to explain the characters or the dynamics or anything like i was a massive fan when i saw the show and i think like you don't want to be like too overly zealous but i think making it clear that i already was familiar with material really helped me so that's the big thing i tell people especially if they want to get like commercial jobs or branded jobs or like even just researching the production company. Do you think since you bill yourself as a comedy editor, do you think it's important at all to be like funny in the interview? Oh, I've actually, I try not to be too on. I, I get kind of worried that like, if I'm too like wacky, goofy, like you, <laughs> you also want to say like, this is the person you're going to be sitting in a room with for like 10 to 12 hours a day. So I never want to be like too, I always am like myself, which is kind of like a big point. Uh, powerhouse uh, locomotive of confidence no I, I just try to be like myself uh which i think i do i try to come off as naturally funny but i'm not like scripting jokes or anything like that i think that kind of works against you a little bit i think i i like to do is like like when i met like with um chrissy uh whether for her feature like i made it clear like oh it's kind of like this feature meets this feature like i wanted to make it clear like i've read the material i think i see what you're going for i think i see the influence that you have and kind of coming into that showing that you've done the work Mm -hmm. uh and again like just being like a bit prepared with like knowing like a production company like what they've done in the past saying you're a fan of this and having actually watched it you know stuff like that is like i think helps you get through those first rocky bumps of meetings you know andy you bring up a point that i love knowing you personally i know that you are a fan of many things you love Mm -hmm. movies and tv but i think it's important when you're 
in a scenario like this, when you're meeting with someone, you have to actually love the thing that you say you love, you know? Yeah. If you oversell that, that's a bummer. So there, there is a little bit of a superpower of being like, oh, yeah, well, I love and watch a lot of things. So, yes, I am conversant in Harley Quinn TV show, for instance, is really helpful. Because I've met with people that didn't like where they were like, oh, I'm a big fan of Harley. And I was just like offhand. I was like, oh, which episode? And they were like, I haven't seen it. Yet. I was like, oh, buddy, I made it so much worse. You know, it's OK to be like, ah, oh, man, you know, I've been meaning to get to it. I really loved this adjacent thing. Right. Yeah, everyone in this town feels like they have to say like, oh, yeah, I've like they pretend that they've watched this thing and it hurts you so much more if you're like bullshitting right. your way through it. Because and I've caught myself doing that a couple times, too, and it's always blown up in my face. But oh, I always yeah. like when I meet with a director, I try to watch like three or four things they've done and, you know, talk to other people that have worked with them. And like I try to go in as prepared as possible, but open to, you know, the possibilities of, you know, whether or not I get the job. Going back to the point about like being funny in the room, I think being warm, right to your point, Andy, being affable, showing enthusiasm, all that stuff is is important. But I think that like trying too hard, being too sweaty is way, way worse. And most truly funny people, they can be funny in social situations. It's inappropriate to try to be super, super funny in a meeting situation if unless you're a performer. If you were interviewing someone to direct a horror movie, oh, they better be they scary. Better be scary. No, they need to. Sh- they pop out from behind a bookshelf going. Bleh. I usually interview those people in mirrors. Only. Or if they just come in like really goth or whatever, or just like morose, <laughs> yeah. it would just be like, yikes, this person is too I much. That sandwich. Yeah. Yeah. I get more excited when someone starts to go into like, obviously their passion for something, but if they can like tie it to. You know, not the elevator pitch is like, it's this meets this. But if they can talk about other things that I've seen and then it just kind of like paints that picture and it also gives you something else to talk about. That's, I think, like the most helpful thing for me when I go. And I actually I should say I do a lot of homework when I go into interviews to a point where it's like when I had my first uh, Harley Quinn one. I knew that the showrunner went to UT. I had no like animation credit. So when he was going through my resume, I made sure UT was at the top, mm-hmm. which I don't usually do. So he was like, oh, University of Texas. And I just yeah, pivoted yeah. the conversation to that. Anyway, Andy, I want to get into Harley Quinn in a Please. second. But I just my last question, because I feel like our listeners would love to hear your updated 2022 answer. You know, you said that moving to L.A. was a good thing. But now, I mean, even now, just talking about your interview for Harley Quinn, how you yeah. did it over Zoom. Do you still think that today it would have been helpful for you to move to L.A. to kind of launch the career that you have now? Or do you think it's you can do it from anywhere you can do it that's from a great question and it's a tough one because like i do a lot of mentoring with like ut kids and that's the big thing they ask me and it's like before it would have been like a resounding yes get here right now now i'm not so sure because it is like mm-hmm. even in those we talk on zoom and stuff the big thing that i can say and at least speaking for myself because i always remind my wife of this when it's like we think about moving somewhere else i could do this job from anywhere but I get the work because I live in LA. Mm-hmm. Like I cut all of Harley season three, like five, literally I could see the water tower from my house. Like I was five minutes away in my bedroom, but it's like, if I had to go on the lot to like cut with the execs, or if I had to go in for a screening or something, I could, I was right there. And I think that's still primarily the case. I've seen, especially in animation, a lot of editors, I think because of COVID have been able to live anywhere. And if you have like your one or two, like big clients that you work for, amazing. Like keep, the reins on them keep your money jobs there and yeah you can do this job from anywhere i still think it's important to live here because i can go to like 
editors guild meetups or you know blue collar post collective meetups or even just like going to like movies out here like everyone in line is like a filmmaker or works in movies so it's just like you can't replace getting that kind of inherent network here with anywhere else i loved living in austin it's a great great city i would not be working on a show like harley quinn or for a company like warner brothers if i had stayed there because i would wouldn't be getting the jobs that led me to getting a show like Harley Quinn and the relationships uh, that got me to getting Harley Quinn. So I still think it's important to move out here and to like give it the college try. Yes. A lot of stuff is going to be on zoom, but things are opening up, you know, like you're, you're starting to be screenings mm-hmm. and hangouts and things like that. And I think I'm optimistic that it's only going to be more so. So I still would tell 2022, I, I would say the same thing that I would have said to myself in 2015. Like if you really want to do this, Again, you can do this from anywhere. If you just like if filmmaking is like a hobby, you just love making movies for the sake of movies, more power to you. Do it from anywhere. If you want to like work at studios or if you want to work at like a bigger level, and especially if you want to work in post, you you really do have to be here. It's a bummer that that's the way it is, but it's the way that it is. So if you're really serious about having a career as an editor and working on those bigger projects, I think you do have to live in it. I think that that point is really apt. And I think that like a few years from now, I'll be curious to see where the people who kind of moved to the periphery are like do they come back do they try something different are they thriving i hope they're thriving but because i often think like oh wouldn't it be nice to like move to like camarillo like move up into ventura county like you know hang out maybe schools are a little bit better um Mm -hmm. the weather's nice and and just drive down for if i have a shoot in la it's not a big deal i could couch surf or whatever but your point of like the localization of community and, and uh, is something that I've taken for granted because of the way that I've been living for the last few years, which is uh, pretty isolated and and hanging out with a baby. But even going like you guys had these amazing Christmas parties uh, now in feature form, but like I would go to those and it's like, you're constantly surrounded by like filmmakers and people trying to make things. And you're all like, Oh, let's do stuff uh, together. Oh, let me introduce you to this person. It's just like, you have that there's a little communities for that anywhere in the US or anywhere in the world. But it's like, it's just different. Here. Yeah, it's like every movie you go to every like meetup you go to. It's like there's always every like someone... Christmas party you throw. Yeah, yeah it yeah. really is like even <laughs> like, you know, Starbucks reserved. <laughs> <laughs> but I will say I don't give that advice lightly because I imagine like, you know, because when I moved here, I was like, you know, whatever, like 23. And like, I didn't I was making like barely like five figures a year, barely, you know? So it's like when I moved here, I didn't really have anything to lose. It was kind of like, well, I'll try LA and like worst case scenario, I'll go back. And now I'm like, I'm 31. It's like, I just bought a house. I bought a house that you can see the Warner Brothers water tower from? Now I'm a little farther from the Warner. I'm in Rosita now, so I'm a little farther away. But it's still like, it's a a stupid amount of money that we paid. I have land in uh, where they shot Karate Kid in Boogie Nights. It's harder for me to just like drop everything and like do a short for fun or to try to, it gets harder. And I, I just try to like let people know, like I don't say it lightly of like trying to like change your career at the drop of your hat. It's it's hard and it gets harder the more responsibilities and stuff that you get. But I don't know. It's like if you want to be a narrative and stuff, it's like there's sometimes certain things that you just have to do in order to course correct your career. Let's jump into Harley Quinn. Tell us about editing animation. Yeah. Is sure. it super easy because there's no coverage? Yeah, yeah I'm, That's a great I'm truly curious about what editing animation entails. I'll say that I'm, I cut a Harley Quinn season three, now available on HBO Max, and I'm currently cutting an animated Batman movie. And both mm. of them have been totally different. So the way we cut Harley, we get all of our main cast immediately. 
Kaylee Cuoco, Jim Rash, like day one, like the, like we're getting them all. When you say we get them, the you mean you record all of their. We lines. get them in the booth yeah. and record like their lines for like an episode or whatever. Before anything is animated. Before anything is animated. Before anything is drawn, we get like we put together like a radio play. Basically, it's like if you close your eyes and watch the episode. We put together that maybe it doesn't have a ton of music or maybe the sound effects isn't super specific because we want to give the board artist room to like make their choices. But it's all the timing of the jokes mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Which is a new so, style of animation. It used to be board driven. Having a director for animation was felt a little strange to me because the board artists were really the people coming up with well, they do oversee and, the board artists. A lot of times the directors are board artists. Themselves. Sure, sure. But uh, I'm so, saying like in the 90s. Oh, sure. It was yeah. like the the jobs were were quite different. And I think probably the reason why board artists are now directors is because uh, they were in many ways the authorial voice of the show. For sure. Yeah, yeah. Back in the day. I mean, it's important to note that Harley Quinn was created by people who like come from live action like Justin and Pat Schumacher. And stuff. So it's like largely animation is still like what you said, Matt, like the board artists do. It, and then you get the, mm-hmm. the the voices later. That's what it is on Batman. But for Harley, it's like the timing of the jokes was so specific and so important that we actually put a ton of time. You usually don't do this on animated shows, but like once we did the radio play, we would send it to the board artist and they would kind of like do their version of it. Director gets a pass, et cetera. It all comes back to me. I would tighten up boards and then I would do a full music and sound effects pass. And apparently that's really rare. I've talked to other animatic editors and they're like, that's crazy. What a waste of time. It's all going to be replaced. (laughs) But as you guys know, it's so important to the timing of a joke or even like a fight scene to like make sure it has like the energy that it needs, the flow that it needs, the emotional beats that it needs. So we really like who told you not to do. I'm like so frustrated by editors that don't realize how important sound effects and music are. It's like always, always, always even like animatics are like by and large, like they're designed to be super rough, but you have to like really, I am a firm believer of like, I'm with you. I'm firm believer. Like I hate seeing like times new Roman font and like no music and like, I mean, no I think the sound pass. is way more important than the picture cut. Like, absolutely. And I you work with these the editors. Yeah. yeah. Hear the dialogue. And also like, you know, I've been working on all this office stuff and we always talk about like, if there's an awkward pause, let's hear like a phone ringing in the background or something yes. to accentuate <laughs> the awkwardness. And like, they're like, well, there's a sound designer. I'm like, you are like, yeah. Do the by first the way, pass. the sound designer has like one day. They're just going to sweeten yeah. whatever you do. So they're going to sweeten whatever you do. They're like Quinn. enhance it or whatever. No, but yeah. it is like I, even on like branded stuff and everything I've done, I've always I'm really serious about my sound effects passes and my music passes. I know it's all going to get replaced or whatever, but, but I it always probably make sure. does it. Does every single sound effect you put in get replaced Not on really. Harley Quinn? Like watching uh, I watch like the first three. No, I've watched the whole season animated and it's like a lot of it is like the same sound effect sometimes they'll replace things and make it better but it's still like the timing of like something like you set the timing exactly which and it's also so- means you set the timing of the dialogue which means you set the timing of what the storyboard artists right right and if there's a car screeching by or something yeah it only helps like especially once you go to animation i think like those like sound cues really help make sure it's very specific. Like this is when a character claps or this is when like a punch locks, you know, there's a lot of stuff that goes into that. But basically, as I was saying, like the process, it really is like you're making this radio play. And to I forget which one of y'all said it. But yeah, it's like you have no coverage, which is really exciting when it's like, oh, my gosh, like I don't have to worry about like getting these Mm -hmm. things together. It's like you can really Frankenstein to a point where I had to like draw myself back. I was like, I can make the perfect comedic take with five takes. And Mm -hmm. it's like, no, 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 just like you got to let it breathe a little bit, stretch it back. But you can really you get very spoiled going from animation to live action where it's like, oh my gosh, like you can really create the timing from scratch. You do have limitations of like, okay, well, 
you know, the, the directors and producers really do run things in terms of, I would say they have more of a control over like the visual edit of a show, but I have control over the audio edit. Like it really is when you watch like my episodes of Harley Quinn, that's 99% me, mm-hmm. you know, like maybe they'll change things here and there because sometimes animation comes back slow and you have to like frame finesse things and drop frames kind of like you would in action stuff anyways. But like overall, it's like the timing of that is like from what we found together. I wonder if some of the freedom that you have actually is the result of people thinking of it as rough. Oh, yeah. Like, I think that's a fair point of it. Yeah. Like if you nail it, then great. They just go ahead and use what you did. But like if it was roughed in a little bit more, they would have fixed it. But no one's watching because it's just the rough version. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Absolutely. And I think it helps again, like most of our showrunners on Harley came from live action, both the showrunners and the, you know, the writers that took over for this season. It's like they all came from live action. And this was my first animated show, too. So we were kind of all in this together. But to Oren's point, it's like I'm always big on selling a cut. So I'll put in titles. I'll even they like to make fun of me, like in animation, you do a lot of like temp voices before you get read. So I would like do the characters voices. Mm-hmm. Nobody told me not to. I would do my, my Clayface and my King Shark and my Joker. And I would like, you know, I'm not an actor, but it's like whatever you can do to like really sell a cut, make sure jokes are landing and stuff. It brings like a certain energy to your cut that you wouldn't get if you were just kind of to Oren's point, just like, here's where the dialogue is going to go. Mm-hmm. You know, like someone will put a gunshot in here. Eventually that's lunch. It's like, I, I get very specific about like, even my music use, I would spend hours of just like finding you know jeff's gonna come in later and just like crush it but i would go like okay like i'll use this like my hero academia song for like this fight scene or i'll use this run the jewels thing for this setup uh it's like i would really try to like make sure that if you watch the animatic the energy of the cut is there like i've looked at other animatics for other shows and they don't take that as seriously which i'm always a little surprised by some do but a lot of ones i've seen aren't as big on it but batman we're doing the same it's just kind of in the reverse we're like the board artists give us stuff we put in temp voices mm-hmm. and eventually we'll get our superstar cast like pretty much at the last minute. They're giving you stills, the board artists or like animated. Yeah, stuff? it's basically like hundreds and hundreds of JPEGs in a timeline. They use the program or at least we do at Warner Brothers called Storyboard Pro and they'll send you guys probably know what like an XML is. It's basically like something that you can export to or from that has like all of the data like this shot. This image is like this many frames that long. This one is this many frames. And then we basically send XMLs back and forth to each other. So I'm getting not just like all of the storyboards in a row, but it's like keeping my timing mm-hmm. or like a bit of their timing or stuff like that. And it can be a little exhausting when it's just like, oh my gosh, like, uh, like no joke. I just for today on Batman, I got have a scene that has 1500 individual images and they're all like a second long. And it's up to me to like go through each one. And it's like, this one's going to be this many frames. And it's like, and you have to learn like shots. Uh, they're all different like poses so it's like if like harley's like reaching for like a bat or something it's like her still pose and then her hand's coming out and then it's coming out a little more and then it's like she grabs the bat oh, and then she, it's like you if you watch an animatic it's like all of these like kind of hero poses and then they'll fill everything else in an animation but you're like you have to learn like oh a person can't walk that fast so mm-hmm. you have to like oh that's kind of learns a lot of that stuff as well which took me a little getting used to for sure for instance like when someone is like walking across a room or something like that yeah are you masking things are you like you know oh, interpret you're like having them slide across the frame as they're walking like there's a little bit of like lo-fi animation happening as well we do a little bit of that. I would say we mostly are masking stuff to like kind of hide things or like if the director's like, oh, I want like this kid to be smiling in this shot. Can we just steal this smile, put it over and then we'll fix it in the boards later. 
we do a lot of little stuff like that on Harley. We definitely did a lot of like motion stuff. And also, you know, camera moves is a big thing as well. Like I would pitch certain things where I'm like, I really think it's going to be funnier if we do like a snap zoom out of this, or if we're like kind of like slowly moving along with them. So you get a bit of say as, as well in that because some artists they'll just kind of give you the stills and kind of expect you to put in like some sort of camera frame move others will be like oh it's going to be this really cool one or where it goes like from here and then we're back here and then we're like going over here and and you still get to like kind of finesse it and again it's like with the dialogue it's like you don't have that perfect camera shot on set well you can really get like perfect with it Mm -hmm. on here making sure the dialogue time is like crisp and like you're getting the beats right on it it's uh it's really infinite which makes it harder but it's also Again, like I love editing because I'm a, I love puzzles and putting stuff together. It just makes it so much more fun as well. And like honestly, like Harley is like the closest. It's some of the most creative freedom I've ever had in my career. It's the closest I've ever got to like what was in my head in when I read the script mm-hmm. to getting it on the page. Just from like you getting all of the assets the way that we do. Yeah, I, it's so fascinating to me. A thing I think about a lot with editors uh, and you know, kind of a younger generation and an older school generation. And the the difference is that oftentimes I prefer a younger generation because they are more nimble with the tool set, mm. right? Like they're temping in, they're split screening things and like combining takes and, you know, dropping in like pretty advanced VFX, frankly, like they're not final versions necessarily but like you know like you're getting in there rolling up your sleeves whereas with an older school editor or just one that kind of comes from like a like a maybe a purist perspective i have to be the one who's like okay well let's what if we can we combine these takes can you know reverse that a little bit or this or that you know like kind of the 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 tricks that you have up your sleeve Uh, and i would certainly put you in that new school I, i guess what i'm getting at andy is that i wonder if that skill set has informed the way that you're approaching these animatics basically oh most definitely and that's i've never really thought about that way but that is a good way to put put it like i remember i was around like uh, 14 or 15 i think when youtube really became a thing so i'm kind of from this first generation of editors where we were all making like our own little like music videos Mm -hmm. or like re-edits or making stuff with our friends and it's like well we had we grew up with you know iMovie and like even like final cut and stuff like that where it's like oh, I can like replace this thing or I can make this effect on my own or I can do this title. And I think when you come up through doing film school like that and finally get professional jobs like that, you kind of do keep that skill set. Whereas I'm I'm not sure someone who, like my co-editor on Harley, uh, Dave Porter, who's like an incredibly talented editor, he's been an animation editor like as long as I've been alive. And I think he does have a lot of those skills, but it is interesting of like, I don't like know if he would have come into it in the same way that I did, which was kind of like figuring it out like, went long before anyone would have paid me to do this so it's interesting at warner brothers it's like half the people are around my age as editors and the other half are in their like 50s and 60s and both groups are super talented uh, i feel like i'm running for office or something but like um but i think there is something i've noticed in my own group like we all started like making youtube shit at the same time we all kind of grew up on like the lonely island and dare comedy at the same time and when you do that you have this innate thing of like learning how after effects mm-hmm. and learning how to like do these little tricks and stuff that you don't get from learning the more traditional approach right. to yeah. like editing, yeah, like the more purist as you would the, say. the idea of like opening up After Effects as part of your edit. It's not as much of a reason to because it's like again it's, and again like it goes to me like I really want to always sell a cut. So it's like if I can like spend five minutes like dynamic linking something to just make like a cooler title, I'll totally do it. It's not going to be the final thing, but if it if I if I do that kind of stuff, it's going to get away from getting like 
the very nitpicky notes that come with like, why can't I hear this person? Why does it look so gray that we're all familiar? Why with does it look so gray? Oh my <laughs> gosh. <laughs> we, yeah. well, I, I won't say who I, I did a project with someone recently and there was like a blue sky in it. And the client was like, uh, this guy's, uh, can we like swap this out with a shot of a blue sky? And I was like, you're, you're doing color tomorrow, yeah, my guy. Yeah. Like you're gonna, <laughs> you're close. Yeah. It's going to happen. <laughs> I worked on something last year where the editor was like total veteran, like had done all these feature films you've seen in the movie theater. Of course. And he, yeah, he didn't temp anything. Wow. Um, and I was like, he was just like old school. I was like, yeah, I, have, I usually have assistants that do all this stuff for me, but he didn't have an assistant on this, on this project. And uh, it is, That's- it is interesting to see the difference between like new school, the YouTube iMovie After Effects editors and old school. You know, it's weird on Harley. I don't have an assistant editor. Or on Batman, which has been a little That's weird. very like, interesting. Tell us more. Well, this is my first like animated show, right? And it's like, oh my gosh, I'm working with like a giant studio and a big like characters that everyone has heard of. But it's like I'm doing like all the assistant edit work myself as well, which I don't know if that's an animation thing or a Warner Brothers thing. So I won't tell too many tales out of school. But it has been a little weird of like I'm finally at this level of my career and I'm still doing a lot of that like assistant stuff. Like I'm still pulling all my own selects and I'm still you know, searching for my own music and stuff like that, which is a little weird, but it's, it kind of keeps me honest. Like weirdly, I feel like I'm kind of back in high school when I was making like sketches with my friends. Like this is the closest I've felt to that in my career, my professional career. What's the story behind Batman? Did you get that through Harley Quinn? I'm assuming. I kind of got it through See You Next Christmas. Uh, if you can believe yeah, it. Buddy. What? I will not believe it. So, okay, here's what happened. On Harley, they got to a point where they they didn't need me anymore, essentially. The the original editor from the first two seasons wanted to come back, and it was like, okay, we have three editors and we need two. Are we going to go with the guy who's edited the first two seasons, the guy who's been doing this since the 90s, or this new kid that just cut this? And I was obviously (laughs) the one, which is fine. But Warner Brothers really wanted to keep me in, so they put me up for this movie called Merry Little Batman which was by being directed by Mike Roth, who's, you know, right-hand man on regular show, was an OG board artist on SpongeBob, like a super talented, funny guy. And so I, I think my name got pushed up partly because I'd done a bunch of Christmas stuff. Like I, I had on my resume, I had done this Christmas feature film uh, for Matt and uh, his partner, Chrissy, who directed it. And I'd also cut this uh, Carly Rae Jepsen Christmas music video. Mm, oh, so yeah, my resume like shot to the top because it was like, oh, Christmas. Hello, Christmas. Animation. Yeah, Perfect. there you go. You've worked with Batman. You've worked with Christmas. It's all there. You know, I, I initially didn't want to. I, I was a really tough sell. I, I kind of had to like stick to my guns because they were like, we want to edit in Storyboard Pro. And I was like, no, I'm going to edit in Premiere. And they were like, OK, but we uh, and it was. I don't know. There was a lot of things where I really pushed on and I'm surprised they still went with me. But I was at my wedding dancing with my niece and I was like, I really want to make something that you can watch because she cannot watch Harley, at least for another like 15 years. So it's been weird doing like a kid's project, but it's been really fulfilling as well. I'm, I, I wish I could say more about it, but it's I'm, I'm really excited about it. It's it's very, very goofy and sincere. And I'm hoping it will become a Christmas classic, much like See You Next Christmas. And, and this is not in, not in the world of Lego Batman. It's not Will Arnett no, Batman. It's, it's, not, it's not Will Arnett. I can confirm that. It is someone very famous who's going to be Batman. Oh. We're recording this after the first three episodes of Harley came out. And it's been really incredible just seeing like, oh, right. Like you work on this expecting no, like it just lives in a vacuum. And now like millions of people are like making all this like beautiful fan art and saying how much they love the show. And it's it's very overwhelming with this level of like characters that everyone's familiar with, you know. Is it Union? Oh, yeah. This was my first Union show, which was nice. It's animated Union, so it's not a ton of money. I'm going to be on Batman for at least a year and I'm starting to get courted by agents and stuff. So I'm kind of hoping the next phase of my career can start getting back into live action stuff again. 
which I'm starting to get a couple offers on and stuff, but I'm still not sure if like I'm bringing Chuck E. Cheese tokens to a bank by having animated credits. Again, it goes to that that pigeonholing thing of like, have I pigeonholed myself too far where it's like, oh, well, now we only see you as an animation editor. I wouldn't think so. Just because, yeah. I mean, HBO Max is like obviously like a prestige network. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like a DC popular, you know, like superhero franchise. And I feel like the fact that it's animated or not. And again, like you work for showrunners that come from traditional live action. I don't know. I think it's not Chuck E. Cheese. Yeah. If you did another animated thing, it, you might be taking a, a serious step in that direction. Do you know what I mean? I think so, yeah. too. Yeah. And that's why I was a little apprehensive on if I was going to take Batman, because part of me was like, OK, well, maybe I can like start getting some stuff based on Harley before it comes mm-hmm. out. But now that it's being released, I'm hoping because it is like at the end of the day, Harley is like an adult show. You know, it's an Arrested Development or what have you. It's like a sitcom. So it's like I'm hoping that at least having like the tone and stuff like that makes up for the fact that like it is animated and that is a different style of editing. Mm-hmm. But again, it's like I have examples of live action stuff I've done. I don't know. That's something I'm sure you guys go through that as a director, too. But I'm always wondering about that. Well, Andy, we could talk to you about this stuff forever. Thank you so much for finally coming on the show. We asked you and asked you and asked you. And finally, you said yes. I know Matt's joking, but it it is really fun to have you on the show. Like, congrats on your success. It's like awesome. And, you know, I know I opened this whole thing up by taking credit for all your success. But like, you obviously are super talented and knowledgeable and like, Anyone that even just follows you on Twitter could tell that, like, you know, you're meant for this industry and that you, like, obviously are going to thrive in it. So, congrats. Well, I remember, like, when I first booked Harley, I got off the phone and for, like, the first minute, I was like, maybe this will be enough to get me on Just Shoot It. Maybe this will be the one that, like, this is the credit that will convince them to to bring me on. (laughs) But you've never asked to be on before either, like. I don't know. know. I always felt it would be weird to ask. But then once like I booked Harley and that came out, I was finally like, okay. like I know you guys don't talk to a ton of editors, but I feel like this is a big enough credit to be cool. Yeah. I mean, freaking Carlin Hudson's been on like 30 (laughs) times. When's my meal? Yeah. yeah. Fair enough. Fair fair enough, Eddie. We're Uh, never we're not going to have her on again. Don't (laughs) worry. For your request. Oh, she's a gym. Have her on every time. I was kind of waiting for the right one. I've weirdly had people that recognize my name from because you all have talked about me on different episodes. So I've like meet other editors and they're like, oh, from just shoot it. And I was like, no, I've never been on. But it is like you guys have made such a great podcast that I always recommend to like film students and even people who are like deep into their careers because you guys are so good at like, you know, there's so many like books and stuff out there about like filmmaking and like the real technical craft of it. But we in film school, they never talk about the business side of things and getting an agent and like course correcting and navigating to like these things and like setting up pitches and you know mm-hmm. like the actual work that goes into being a working director and i really love that you guys have demystified the process as much as you have over the last like six seven years so kudos to you guys and again thanks to you for uh, having me be a part of it this has been uh, a dream come true of course buddy before we happen to unpaid endorsements andy where can listeners learn more about you how can they keep track of the world of andy young yeah if you want more of this uh, <laughs> you can find me on all of the dilemma things at, at andy young uh, my website is andy young film Harley Quinn season three is playing on HBO Max every Thursday right now. Go check it out. I'm super duper proud of it. I edited episodes one, three, four, seven, and nine. And then I was the radio play editor on two. So all of the best ones. No, the whole season is freaking amazing. And I I truly am like, I'm so proud of the whole show. Hit me up and let me know what you think of it. I talk a lot about like editing and sharing my timelines. And again, I try to really break down the process and make it seem like it's something that you can do if you also started in your parent Dell computer editing anime music videos on Windows Movie Maker. So come along for the ride. I'm, I'm around. Well, awesome. Do you have a few minutes to hang out with us and do a, an unpaid endorsement? Most definitely. Unpaid endorsements. 
I'm going to kick it off, but this is uh, apropos to both Oren and Andy in a real way. My endorsement is the remix tool on the newest version of Premiere. The remix tool, it's kind of buried actually, but it's a tool in, it's in Premiere basically. Take a look for the remix tool. And what it is, is it's a music editing AI adjuster. So you've ever been in the situation where you're like, oh, I need this sting to ring out a little bit longer or like, oh, this song is playing too fast or too slow. The AI analyzes the track and then matches your edit relative to what you're stretching it or shortening it to. It is incredible. I always tell like composers, I'm like, make a version of your song that has that's like loopable. a ring out. At the yeah, end. yeah, like, yeah. Have one that's a hard stop and have one that's like a ring mm-hmm. out and have and have it loopable and swell. It like drives me crazy trying to find. Oh, my God, that's going to. So it like adds like a little bit of reverb and like stuff like that. It's more like, that. And look, I haven't really put it. It's through its paces just yet. Uh, and also two of the three times that I've used it, it has crashed premiere so so caveats like that morph cut thing they had for a while where it's like it'll match it exactly but it's going to take years for it to actually it's work in that school however it works better yeah. than morph cut and i i'll use morph cut every once in a while i i, I get it oh i still sneak it in all the time absolutely but i think it's more that it understands the beat of the song and understands like where to loop things so like i think it's more likely to add an additional measure or two in the chorus than it is to stretch the end necessarily. Oh, interesting. So you can like drag it out to a certain point and it can keep like, if you find like an instrumental it'll section, keep it going. Like, it'll understand it. Wow, I would bet that's really going to change. My I life. bet there's some strategy to like splicing the track at a certain point and then stretching it out. Like if you want the intro to be untouched basically, or I'm sure there's some finagling to it. I'll say in the case of like drones and stings and suckbacks, all of that stuff, that's like mm-hmm. elemental rather than pure music. It's been awesome for it's been awesome for. Oh, nice. Because I use that all the time on like even Batman right now. I'll have to like speed up or slow down like a song. Uh Like, oh, I want it to last this long, but then it sounds clippy. I'm like, yep. I'll have to like ring this out and like reverb and stuff. That's going to I'm really excited to check this out now. That sounds dope. So that is my endorsement. Mr. Andy Young, what you got, sir? I'm sure this has been pitched at some point because I thought about like, should I do like a fun one or like a helpful one? I'm going to do a fun one that's been helpful to me. Not in my career, but I just I really like it. There's this website called letterbox.com that I'm a big fan of. I'm sure your listeners are already on it. If you're not, it's basically like a movie diary website, kind of Instagram-ish. And it's really, I love it because it's a great way to, as my brain turns into like hamburger meat, it's just a great way to like remember movies I've seen, where I've seen them, why I liked or didn't like something that I watched. But what I really like about it, which really like changed my life during uh, the pandemic, especially when we were all just like sitting around watching movies, their watch list function. I used to have a watch list on IMDb and it was like fine or whatever, but like the watch list on Letterbox is great because you can sort it by like genre and runtime and all these different things. But you can also, if you're a pro member, you can plug in the streaming services that you have. So if you're like, okay, I want to watch something on Netflix that's like sci-fi and I want it to be like something from like the 80s. It's like you could plug all this in and it'll find it. So I'm really big fan of if you like to me, I'm sure I'm not alone. My my wife and I spend a lot of time sitting on the couch trying to figure out what to watch. And this is a really good website to be able to kind of like whittle something down, just be able to like make lists and stuff that you want to do. So letterbox.com, highly, highly recommend. And I'm Andy Young Film on that if you want to follow along on things that I like and don't like. I love Letterboxd. You are a power user. I can vouch for your <laughs> avid usage of it. That's awesome. Yeah, Matt, I think endorsed Letterboxd probably circa like 2018 or something. Oh, cool. Yeah. I never really paying attention to it until just now now you should get on it even if you're not like i'm super active on it but even if you're not it's a great way to like 
Like I like when we were in the quarantine, it's like, okay, I've always wanted to watch all the Oscar winners. Or I've always wanted to watch the AFI hundred. It makes it so easy to like go through and like you can hide all the stuff that you've seen. You can just show stuff that's in your streaming services. They're just a great company and uh I I love, love, love them. Super cool place for filmmakers and for movie dorks alike. Like anytime I start a project, I always make like a list of like movies. Like when we I did Chrissy's movie, I made like a list of all of her favorite films and stuff. And I just like, okay, these are the ones on streaming. Now I can just oh, like wow go through and rewatch them and stuff, you know? Well, it's that great. I would never do, but, um, and, and that's why, and kind of when Matt talked about it, I'm just obviously giving him a hard time, but like I, it did kind of feel like a place for, you know, film lovers to like talk and rate movies and stuff. But like this other thing that you're talking about, which is like, Hey, I want to see a comedy that came out in the last five years that is on one of these streaming services. Yeah. That to me is huge because that is, yeah, 90% of our TV watching is that cool. Well, that's, that's really good. I have a weak endorsement. I just worked with a treatment designer and she pulled a bunch of images and she used this website called PicDrop, P-I-C-D-R-O-P.com to share the pictures with me. It's actually like a European site. And it was really awesome because it lays out the photos really nice. First of all, the way it arranges the images is like super cool. Um, you, just, you, know, you just have a link, you send it to someone and you scroll through hundreds of images and any image you like, you can click on it. You can download it. You can look at it big or you can select it as an image that you like. The designer so sourced all these images though. Like they had them ready to rock and then sent you uploaded them to pick drop and then sent you the link. Is that right? So yeah. So one thing is, yeah, she found all the images and put them here and put them on the link. And then, you know, I can, if you click on to edit mode, you can put like green flags or red flags or you can sort them. You can say, Oh, I like these for this section and this for this section. So if you're kind of, collaborating with someone else on a bunch of images but also once you make a pick drop gallery it saves all those photos so let's say like you know this sample i'm showing you guys was for like a kind of sci-fi abstract like kind of gen z project Mm -hmm. if she's doing another gen z project she can go and pick all her favorite images from here and just put it in the new gallery so it's kind of like a repository for your own images but you can build galleries out of them and add to them to share with other people so if you're working on a lookbook or a deck or you you want to just show someone, it could even be family photos and you're trying to figure out which one's the print or whatever, wedding photos, anything. Yeah. It's just a really cool resource. And I like, love. It's like a sleek, like Squarespace site for a DP. Mm-hmm. And that's like the highest like praise I can like say for it. Like <laughs> it looks so clean. I'm a big sucker for like color markers and stuff like that. I use that all the time, especially in animation. I love that Ooh. you can like highlight things of like, oh, reds, maybe not this orange, maybe for this thing. Like that's so dope. Like maybe. The, Maybe I should do one more unpaid endorsement, which is Andy's file mark file color <laughs> system. Oh yeah, I forgot I gave you those. I I I worked with an assistant editor once who like I, I'm very specific about my bin structure, and they sent me like the files that I had requested. But they had like all the folders in Mac had these like icons and different colors and stuff. And I was like, how did you do this? And she sent me like just this giant file of like all these little icon sized things and you can like basically customize all of them they take up no space at all and they can be like different colors and stuff and again like it the colors match like what my bins are in premiere so it just adds that extra level so you're saying like, rather than a little folder icon it's like okay well, i know all of my footage is yeah. a little film right. it could be a red folder with like a film reel on it or you could even be like a picture of a music note and it's like a png so it's like clear behind it so i think you have to be a very visual person to do what we do so it really does help to be able to be like, okay, all my footage is in red. My music is in yellow. My sound effects is in green. 
Like it just it helps just a little bit more to be able to like quickly color code and, in Finder and Mac OS. In Finder. Finder. I match it in Premiere, but yeah, Finder is like the big in, in Premiere though. I, I have a follow up question now. In Premiere, is your footage color coded as well? So you're dropping things in, you know, oh, voiceover is blue, interview footage is green or whatever. I actually do like in so Harley is a great example of like if you look at any of my timelines that I'm going to be posting, it's like Harley's voice is pink and Poison Ivy's is green. Mm-hmm. And, Playfaces is orange. And if you're not familiar with the show, those are more or less like the colors that the characters have. So it's like it's been invaluable in animation when you don't have visual things to tie to to be like, OK, I can see that this mm-hmm. is like a poison ivy scene. Here's like a Commissioner Gordon scene. It helps like with like that visual scope. But even in live action, like I've started doing it a lot in like music videos, especially like on my Carly Rae Jepsen one. I did that for all the different setups. I've done that for obviously it's nice to know like, okay, this is my multicam stuff. This is my single stuff. This is my MOS stuff, like simple things like that. But even then it's like my voiceover is its own color. Music's its own color. Sound Mm -hmm. effects is its own Mm -hmm. color. I could do like a whole nother hour on just like how I love organizing in Premiere. It's so dorky, but it makes you so much better and faster. I can't recommend it enough. That's my unpaper endorsement. Being good at your job. Awesome. Well, Andy, this was great. If you guys have any questions or thoughts or want to send us an email about what Andy said, if you disagree with him, we'd especially like to hear you. Just shoot it pod at gmail.com. You can find us across all social media at just shoot it. We have a website, just shoot it pod.com. And you can find me. I'm on Twitter at Smitey Pileg. I'm on Instagram at O Kaplan. And I'm at Mr. Matt Benlow. This episode is edited by Noah Bayshore. Thanks, Noah. And you're listening to music by the Free Music Archive and the artist Jazar. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye.